Today we have the chance to visit with Paul Sandor, who is our friend. He served on our board of directors and he's a master of all vehicle configurations. And um, as you will come to learn in this episode, a lifesaver uh, for the battalion trip. Paul, thanks very much for joining with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you today and back when the trek was still in its infancy and about to kick off. Yeah, you've got memories from before we even figured out that we wanted to hike the trek or Kevin did wanted to hike the trail. So well, I'm excited to get your viewpoints on that as well. First of all, though, well, let's actually just start with that. Why don't you just share with this? how you came to be aware of Battalion Trek and Kevin, what he was doing and how things evolved from your perspective. Uh, I think my perspective started about 15 years ago when we first moved into Midland and I found a brother that is from a lost mother, same pea in a pod, if you will, Kevin is. (laughs) And we started talking and he told me that he was involved in scouting And I told him I was in the Army, and we didn't have any adult supervision there. And it just went downhill from there. But uh, Kevin told me that he was interested in the battalion trek, which I knew nothing of. Being a convert, I heard of the battalion trek, but I didn't know any of the particulars. So he started informing me and schooling me on what the trek was about. And he was excited that he had some diaries. And he had some maps, and he was trying to plot those on the Google Earth, and I think on regular maps. And he was trying to acquire maps from the 1800s. And I'm thinking, this guy is a little bit possessed, because he was very focused on that. But it was okay. I mean, that's when you make friends, you you learn their idiosyncrasies, and you appreciate what they're doing and everybody has their special talents and Kevin and uh, you Denny had have special interests in this and I was just along for the ride more or less so I thought it was neat I remember Kevin indicating at one time that he was going to go home and I or not do it or something and and I think I threatened his life you will do this and you will not come home until you do it and don't make me hurt you and I, I don't know that I said those words exactly, but I think I conveyed it that way. So Yes, he remembers that very clearly. Very distinctly. <laughs> and that's in one of the first things he wrote down. He did he did talk about that in one of our episodes. Well, and that leads us nicely into the next section of our um, talk here today is about well what happens if somebody did get sick and of course Kevin was the main walker I was supposed to follow him along and be his sack wagon so to speak um, but we had my dad who had agreed to come and had wanted to come to drive to support us as well he was going to drive the travel trailer and um, when we got to Council Bluffs he hurt his back and so by the time we got to Fort Leavenworth we knew he had to go home and so um, he had had back surgery previously and so there was a concern that he had maybe done some uh, more damage to his back so we had to send him home and that left Kevin and I as you said (laughs) 
with two vehicles, one per person, plus we were supposed to walk. So um, you got a phone call. Do you want to tell? <laughs> Kevin says there's a song. It's a song or a poem that says, who are you going to call? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a Ghostbuster thing. Who are you going to call Ghostbusters? Well, I, it was actually Polly Sandor. Call him up. Hey, Paul, we're, we need your help. And that's that's what it came down to. And he explained the situation. So it was it was pretty much um, go out and help them for a while. Um, I knew that you were concerned about driving this big truck with a trailer and being able to back it, being able to do all the logistical things that you were required to do and still meet Kevin's dream of being able to walk walk the trail. Now, I, I know that you walked a lot of the trail also, or you guys took turns, but that still left you a driver short. So once I got off the phone with, and I'm not sure if it was Kevin or you that called or both, I don't remember, but I do remember having to break the news to my wife that uh, I was going to be stealing her Volkswagen Beetle <laughs> and going out to Kansas to meet Kevin and Denny because the, the, the Volkswagen was a diesel and it got really good mileage and I could be out there in less than 24 hours and and uh, help them out as best they could until dad was either cleared or found somebody else to uh, finish the trek. Because I, I really wasn't expecting going all the way to San Diego and uh, spending the long haul out there. So I was figuring maybe a couple of weeks at the most um, to get you over the rough spot and do what I could do. And so I just headed out and um, Judy was okay with it. She, she knew that uh, if you guys called, you needed help. And I'm the kind of guy that uh, if someone calls, I will do whatever I can to get out and help them. Plus I was a board member and I, since I didn't go on the trek and didn't expect to do that, um, seeing a little bit of what you guys are going through out there and enjoying that primitive type eating arrangement, not the, the trailer was nice. I mean, it had a bathroom and a shower and, and cooking stuff. But for the most part, I remember eating out of the Dutch ovens and, and water bottles and things that we had and, and not, not using a lot of the grocery stores for, you know, fast foods or anything and when we stopped to eat if somebody invited us to a barbecue we stopped and that was that was a good thing yeah it was um it was great that you came and it was so comforting to know that there was help on its way um yeah driving the big trucks and the trailer i mean i kevin and i were talking about this the other day we had never even pulled that trailer when we bought it, we didn't even pull it to our house. We didn't have a truck. <laughs> Somebody else pulled the trailer to our yard and dropped it off. And then my dad drove it out of the yard when we started on the trek. And so we were not vehicle people. And that was one of the things that was shocking to me when you came was how you would disconnect the, <laughs> the hitches and rearrange things. And I was like, oh, no, don't move those. <laughs> We'll never get them back together. 
and you were constantly just changing things around like it was no big deal, like you were just playing with little matchbox cars. Yeah, I, w I was pretty much used to doing trucking. I did. I drove big trucks for a lot of years. Uh, being in the military, got to change out trucks and backing was my forte forever. And so hooking up a trailer, you just have to be cognizant of how big, how wide your turns are, how short you're cutting it in. So you don't take out the people sitting next to you, uh, knowing how much more you have to break. And trying to share that with somebody that's never even pulled anything before and let them feel comfortable doing it, that takes years of um, practice and not a 10 or 15 minute training on, okay, if you're going to straight line back, this is what you got to do. But <laughs> my, my instruction was to get you to do it, knowing that when I walked in, you didn't want to do it. I'm not here to do it. I don't want to hear it, but I have to do it. And I, I guess I have to, to put that piece of leather in my mouth and somebody's got to dig that bullet out of me. And I just have to suffer through it type thing. And that's what it felt like. It was, I think my, my resolve was just have her feel comfortable doing it a few times and know that she can do it. Yes, it was a con very controlled environment when I was doing the, the little bit of backing up and training. I even took my hat off and put it on the ground so you'd bat next to it. And you didn't drive over my head thinking that it was still in there. And that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, I did say at the beginning of this that you were my friend. But I will tell everyone that that day in that parking lot, church parking lot, Paul was not my friend. I did not like him one bit. And so we will tell you a little bit about that later. But um, yes, here's what Kevin wrote in his blog on the 11th of August, 2008. Best of all, the cavalry arrives. <laughs> My buddy Paul Sander pulls into the area and will help with the driving and reorganization because Jerry had to leave. Paul is one of our board and a pretty neat guy. His wife, Judy, another one of our favorite people, has loaned him to us for a while. Thanks, Judy. So um, I kind of felt like I could relate to the Willie Handcart Company and the rescuers that came over the hill. Because <laughs> when we saw you drive up that night, and it was just such a relief. And I got to drive back with you to go get the vehicle that we had left <laughs> at the beginning of the day. And I got to drive the Volkswagen Beetle. So that was a... a a treat for me. Well, it was something small, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to drive the truck. I was not thrown into it because Paul arrived in time. Otherwise, I would have had to come back and drive through the city for the first time. So it was great to have you there. And when you got there, you couldn't find us, he said. Yeah, I, I misjudged uh, my arrival time. And I knew you guys were going to be out doing an event with somebody so I was told to arrive to this house at a specific time and my GPS didn't take me exactly where I needed to go I remember having to stop along the way to say where does this person live because I'm not finding it I, I, I knew I updated my GPS my Garmin was was king as far as I was concerned <laughs> but 
getting out there and the house was locked up. I found the house. I found the yard lease. I had the address and stuff right, but there wasn't anybody there. And it was foggy and it was, I mean, if you've been in Kansas and you're not close to a big city, it is black. Oh my gosh, black at night. And I remember being overcast, it was being overcast, and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face unless the, the lights were on. And I turned the vehicle off and the lights went off and it was so humid that I had to crack the window open and I just tried to get some lay down and get some sleep in the seat of the car. Next thing I know, I'm invaded by mosquitoes and I'm going, okay, it's hot, it's humid, mosquitoes are eating me up. Where are these people? And about 20 minutes later, they showed up and the next day was great. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Kevin uh, I don't know if it was the next day or several days after that, but he was discussing from his map the route he was taking. And I knew that the route he was going to be walking didn't always coincide with where the trailers uh, and truck needed to be. And I had the GPS and I tried to figure out, okay, if we're going to be 10 or 15 miles down, uh, we probably need to position ourselves somewhere that we, he can see us on, on in route. So if he needs to use the facilities, he needs to get more water, whatever, that's what we need to do. But I'm, I'm talking uh, going through the GPS of which way I was gonna go to meet him there. And he's looking at the map going, that's not even close to where I'm, I don't even know where you're going, Paul. And I remember Denny sitting off to the back, just smiling, wondering how these two peas in a pod as you put us, <laughs> were able to figure, are going to figure this out because they were coming at it from two different angles entirely. And so that, that, that was kind of fun. But I thought that, uh, oh, well, one of the things, when, when I was out with Kevin and I had the, the truck and the Portage on on the back of my rig, and I, I knew which way he was going, and I pulled up alongside of a building that was kind of uh, hidden from his route. And I had seen him in the, in, down the road, but I took another route to come along the backside and around him. And he saw this thing, the, the trailer with the portage on out there, and he ended up giving me a call. Paul, you will not believe this. There is another trailer that looks just like yours out here with a portage on on the back of it, just like. I said, Kevin, you're looking right at me. And he was... <laughs> He had so much, he was focused on so much. How could anybody else look like this? And here it is, the same. And all he could see was a portage on and part of the trailer through the crack in a couple of uh, buildings, you know, like through a fence or something like that. He, he spotted it. And he was just amazed that somebody in Kansas would have a trailer and a portage on on the back of there. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's true. That was my life trying to find Kevin and I, in my journal I don't have it sitting here with me right now but I did make one entry it was he walked um, 15 miles today but the chase vehicle went 82. <laughs> I mean literally we were driving I was driving all over the place with roads out and closures and ditches out and bridges out I mean and it was crazy. And and when you have something that's hooked up like that that's over 70 feet long with the truck and the trailer or the house trailer or the 
or the suburban and the house trailer and the the box truck and the red trailer was uh, 45 feet, I believe. Turning that around on a country road someplace is not an easy thing, and that little 15 minute of backing in a parking lot is not going to prepare you for that. Well, let's kind of walk through our days. You got there on the 11th, and then on the Tuesday, we went to, um, we got to get to uh, an RV park in Tox, Toxin, no, Tonganoxy. <laughs> And um, that's where you met us. And then we got to go to Eudora, Kansas. And that was one of Kevin's favorite places. And that was one of the really fun parts for me was watching Kevin. And he dressed up with all his gear and carried his gun into Eudora, Kansas, because there was going to be a, a newspaper reporter there to interview him. And it was just fun to watch him down the street come down the street but they also interviewed you paul right right they 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 did a little bit of an interview with me asking well why you're you're not related to this guy you don't have any interest in it and basically i just told them like you know somebody has a dream that they should follow the dream and walking from the middle of the country to san diego on a route that's over over 2,000 miles because you have a passion for something, you have to do it one step at a time. And yes, I was in the board, but I, I really had no affiliation other than being friends with Kevin and Denny Henson. And they just wanted to know what, what motivated me to come out there and help. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta help people with their, with their dreams and with their desires and do as much as you can to help them through that. Even if you don't have a desire to, to follow their footsteps, so to speak. Um, and that's what I did. There were a lot of people that were kind to us and helped us along the way. We definitely did not do it on our own, that's for sure. Well, the next thing we got to go and meet this wonderful couple, the Jardins. And Marvin and Norma Jarden were kind enough to host us. Kevin wrote in his blog, In the evening, we camp at the Jardins property just south of Willow Springs. This allows me to fulfill a second secret wish for the trek, to hike through real prairie grass. The Jardins have put this site into a conservation program to help preserve native grasslands. The grass is over six feet tall. I wade into the field a little ways and I'm quickly lost to sight for the others. It's a shame there aren't more places like this for people to experience the real West of the early 1800s. What are your memories of spending time at the Jardins? I think one of the, the either that the day before or that day, um, for whatever reason, the tents were soaking wet and I was afraid that those can or they weren't even cannabis, they were cloth tents, I believe, that they were going to start mildewing. And so we we rigged up some type of uh, clothesline. It wasn't pretty, but we were there long enough to let everything dry out before we repacked it. And it, it kind of reminisced with what the pioneers would have done. I mean, you, you either got to lay it out on bushes or lay it on the ground when you have sun beating on it or put up a clothesline. 
and that's kind of what we did. We, we rigged it up, and and but it was so darn humid out there. Oh my gosh! I just the humidity in Kansas at that point. I know Kevin wanted to live in Endora because the people were so great and the towns, the streets were huge wide. I guess you could have packed, uh, turned around a wagon, uh, horse and wagons through there or oxen and wagons through there. The, the streets were so wide. In but, Burlingame, yes. In Burlingame, the streets okay. were very wide. Yep. Okay. So I, I mean, that, that, that's a memory. Um, but I remember also going to a fair and having barbecue and people just um, welcoming us there and doing that. That was that was awesome. And you told me and Kevin did that people came out in the streets after the interviews and were or during the interviews. Or it was it was posted on the news and people coming out and congratulating you and wishing you luck and families would come out. And, and it, you know, it, it was really nice. It was. The people were wonderful, and they would stop him on the road and ask him, if, you know, if they had read about him in the newspaper, they would talk to him, and it was really great. It was great fun. The people that we met really made the trek in, in terms of memories for us, and that's one of the fun things about doing these interviews is being able to reconnect with some of them and remember them. But the Jordans were a great couple, and you said you remembered a Dutch oven meal. Oh, yeah. Right before I was requested to come home, we stopped alongside of a river. And I remember distinctly you pulling out the Dutch oven and making your bread and the dinner for the night using the Dutch ovens, not using the modern conveniences. And me thinking, you know, all the years I spent in the military, I never used a Dutch oven. And even in my adult life, other than when I, after the trek had transpired, was working with the scouts, I started using Dutch ovens. And I have a couple now, and I can use them, but it was you that built the fire and put the coals on it. And I'm thinking, okay, these these few coals are not going to cook this meal. This meal is, you know, it's not going to happen. And then, and we had acquired some corn. And so we put those on the, on the, the coals and we cooked our corn on the cob, still in the husk. And I remember grabbing it off of there and just pulling that down and just putting a little butter and salt and pepper on it and just gnawing away at it. And it was probably the best sweet corn I think I ever had. And it was just on an open fire. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be doing this forever. So those experiences, I'm thinking, well, this is kind of what they probably went like, with eating with whatever they could find. I thought it was a great experience, but I kind of like my modern conveniences and making bread in a Dutch oven is not my idea of fun, I don't <laughs> even though it was wonderful to taste. I think one of the fun things that I found in Kevin's blog was on Monday, August 18th, it says, Paul Sandor is such a hoot, a quick-witted and quick-witted as well. For example, I related that I intend to dedicate a week of blog entries thusly. Monday, things I saw today. Tuesday, things I heard today. Wednesday, things I smelled today. Thursday, Things I tasted today, Friday, things I touched today. Paul's immediate response, so everything else you write in your blog will just be senseless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't remember actually saying that, but it sounds like something I would say. <laughs> well, Paul, you got us to Council Grove, and um, 
I remember we were camped at the lake and um, then that's where you headed off. So I want to go back and revisit my driving lesson. <laughs> Paul and I are still friends now, but it took Sunday, a lot of years to get that way again. <laughs> on Sunday, August 17th in Burlingame, Kansas, he was not my friend. So <laughs> while we were at the Jardins, Paul decided to reconfigure our vehicles. And so he decided that <laughs> we needed to put the box truck to pull the trailer. You had the Suburban pulling the trailer and the box truck was pulling the uh, flatbed. Oh, yes. Thank you. Because you you needed to have everything out of the box truck or able to get things out of the box truck when Kevin was walking and you needed to have the restroom there. The problem that I saw was that the Suburban did not have load levelers, did not have, it wasn't configured to pull this 20, was it? 34 foot. 34 foot. Oh my gosh, that's right. It was, (laughs) it was not set up to pull that 34 foot. The box truck had dualies on it. It was set up for it. It had a hitch system that was perfect for it. That's the way it should have been configured. And that was one of the first things that I did to change. And as soon as I left, I guess it went back to the way it was because it was wrong. (laughs) Yes, it did. (laughs) All your hard work went right out the window, but it did give me confidence to know that I could unhook them and put them back together the way I wanted them. I'll show him. I'll learn him. <laughs> uh, so it was just too long. I just so Paul decided that we needed to reconfigure, so he reconfigured us <laughs> and got us all parked at the state park. But when it was time for us to pull out of the state park, and um, we were still configured with the 15 foot box truck, truck plus the 34 foot trailer on these little tiny roads. I mean. It was horrendous for me. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. (laughs) And so uh, the very first night, as soon as we got where we were going, we put them back together (laughs) the way they had been so that I could drive and turn around. I had had enough trouble trying to um, turn around, sometimes driving just the Suburban and the little trailer, the flat trailer. I could not even imagine trying to turn that 50-foot conglomerate of stuff and when I couldn't see out of the box truck it was very scary to me but Paul was very kind he tried to teach me he pulled me over to a church parking lot and lined up everything in a nice neat line for me (laughs) and then he told me how to turn the steering wheel when I was backing and then he threw his hat down on the ground and said okay now you do it pull your pull the trailer to my hat and stop right where your wheels are next to my hat and she did it, and she did it several times, and she didn't back over my hat like my head was still in it. So I guess we were still friends at that time, but she she held her tongue. I didn't realize that she was mad at me or we weren't friends for many years after that. I was sitting in the cab of the truck going, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate you for making me do it. I am not going to do this. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. I'm not supposed to be driving these big rigs. <laughs> so anyway, I got past it. Yeah. I think I hope that everybody that's been listening here today can just understand how, um, what a dear friend Paul is and how critically <laughs> he, 
needed he was at that juncture in the trek. Kevin and I did not know how to manage. We didn't think we knew how. We were pretty panicked at that point, not wondering, kind of figuring out what on earth are we going to do. Um, I'll tell you what happened. You know, when my dad was driving, we would just send him off and we would assume everything would be fine and all set up. And But when we were driving on our own, we would actually get up really early in the morning and drive to the place that we were going to make sure that we could get the trailers in there without backing up. <laughs> and so when we say how many miles we drove, we really drove double most days because we were so afraid of having to back those trailers up and getting ourselves in situations that we couldn't get out of. So having Paul there to help us and try to encourage us and give us the confidence that we needed was was pretty important. And it was just fun to have him there. And when he's talking about Kevin with his paper maps and him with his GPS Garmin unit, they were just coming out. Oh my goodness, it was so funny to watch those two <laughs> debate about which one was the right way to go. And I, Kevin even wrote in his blog on Sunday that they got, let me see if I can find it, what he said about going to church with Paul's GPS. It says, we attend church at Collie Creek Ward in Topeka. Paul demonstrates his GPS directional driving aid on the way and we get a might bewildered on the way to church. <laughs> and so that was pretty much the way Paul and Kevin were about directions and which instrument to use to get us where we needed to go. It was very funny. But we were glad that you came, Paul, and we appreciated it very much. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for visiting with me tonight. It was fun. And You're welcome. I do forgive you for giving me my my driving lesson and reconfiguring my vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you were able to get it back without killing yourself. <laughs> it's a miracle that we even thought we could do that with all those that equipment, given the people that we are, that we're not equipment people. So thank you. Appreciate it. You're Have welcome. Good night. No, but I mean, it, it turned out wonderfully. You had a positive experience. You met so many wonderful people. And, you know, I kind of wish I would have went with Paul for the couple of weeks that he was there. But, um, you know, being in the middle of building a house and stuff, it was a little tough. So, and I didn't know, and I didn't want to wear the costumes. <laughs> costumes are a big thing for me. So... <laughs>